Amen. That is why we are here. Our God reigns and He lives today. Well, this week at, at school, I often get the privilege of helping uh, children open up packages at lunch um, when the other, older students can't. So I, I like to act like I have all the strength. But I really wanted to test my strength here this morning. So I would like to do a little arm wrestling to start off here. Um, Brother Sean, if you would want to come front. Joseph, I'll tackle you. And Travis. Where's little Travis? My student at school. Come on front, Travis. So I figured I'd test out a farmer. And then Joseph just got back from Colorado, so he's been exercising for the past couple weeks, so I've been sitting in my desk. So Sean, come on front. Test out my skills. Joseph, come loosen us up to get us started here. Let's see if we can not arm wrestle here. Okay, one, three, yep, one, two, three. <laughs> I knew I could do it, see you. Next one. Can you give me a little plate this time? Hey, Sean, come loosen this up. Travis, how you feeling? Good? <laughs> See, you can do this? All right, come loosen this up, Sean. Gotta do this the proper way. Right. So you're gonna pull that way, and I'm gonna pull this way. One, two, three. <laughs> you did it. Good job. You can find your seats. How many of you like to be the best? Yeah, yeah. A couple honest hands. Anybody else want to come up? As Christians, how many of you want to serve? You really want to serve God? As Christians, we are called to a life of service. Service to God, and that varies from individual to individual. Yet it takes being intentional, it takes being on fire for God to really serve where He calls. And yes, we like to be known. We like to make a difference. We like to be the best. That's just a little example. You know, we go through our different stages of life. We want to be recognized. As children growing up, we want our parents to see us do this and that. We like to be recognized. Teenage stage, we like to be recognized by our peers and our friends. It makes us feel good. Adults, we like to be recognized. All of us want to be known for something to make a difference whether it's in our work, in our families, in our church. 
We want to serve, but yet we have selfish desires that want everything to be about us too often. Turn with me to Luke 22. I would like to create a little context for the message here this morning. Luke 22, we have the disciples gathered around the Last Supper. Jesus is talking to them. And he just said that one of them is going to betray him. And in verse 24, and there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest? So they're arguing, hey, uh, which one of us, us 12 here, which one's going to be the best? Typical. Jesus responds in verse 25, and he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. That's what they do. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. What is Jesus trying to tell his disciples here? Don't argue about who's going to be the best. The greatest among you is the person who serves, serves others. He's going to be the greatest. And I want to use that verse as a segue into the message this morning. And we're going to look at a, a man who was called to be a servant. And as we look at his life, I want us to see qualities of a servant. I want us to see the power of a servant so that we view ourselves as a servant. Turn with me to Acts. This is where we're going to go for the text this morning. Acts Chapter 6. I want us to see the power of this servant. The power that his life had. And be inspired to view ourselves as a servant. The title this morning is Stephen the Servant. And as you're turning there to Acts 6, a little background and setting. So the message this morning is going to be in story form. And we're going to look at the story of Stephen. And so every story needs a setting and a background. A little background here. We have the beginning of Acts. We have the apostles gathered, gathered around waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Okay, the Pentecost. Then they get up and preach. And wow, the transformation at Pentecost is amazing. We have the apostles going out from there into Jerusalem and the surrounding areas preaching the word. And... They were successful. Peter and John were out performing miracles. They met with opposition. They were before the council for a little bit. But the apostles through it all kept preaching. And the church was booming. If you look back in Acts, we have uh, miracles. And we have Ananias and Sapphira in the church. The lesson learned there with honesty. The apostles are healing many. And then we come to Acts 6. And that provides the context for the life of Stephen. In Acts 6, verse 1, In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. 
Okay, so we see here a need. There's a need for more leaders. We have the apostles preaching the word. The church is growing. Yet there was people in the church being neglected. And so the people saw this and said, hey, what's going on? You need to take care of the widows. There's needs in our church that need taken care of. And then in verse 2, then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them, the whole church. Hey, let's, let's talk about this. And they said, it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. We don't want to forsake preaching to serve. Here we see uh, uh, just a side note, a first quality of a servant. A servant recognizes his limitations. The apostles saw that. And they said, wherefore, brethren, look ye among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So they call the church together. They say, look among you. Call seven men to, to meet the needs in the congregations. We're going to continue to preach the word. Okay. They liked what they were hearing. And that brings us to verse 5, where we are introduced to Stephen. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip and Prochorius and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenius and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and, whom, and when they had prayed, they laid, hands, they laid hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So here we are introduced to our character this morning, Stephen. And what does it say about him? A man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. I find it interesting that they give that description to Stephen and not the other six men. Not saying that they weren't, but I wonder if Stephen was especially recognized for his faith and the power of the Holy Spirit that was upon him. So that's the character that we're studying, Stephen. I don't, we don't know much about him before this, but we know that he was a man grounded in faith, obviously new to the faith. And what happens from here? He is called to the form of a servant, to serve the needs in the church. And how does he respond? Verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. He did great wonders and miracles. He could only serve because his past, his past relationship with God, which was full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, which put him in a place to serve well in the areas he was called. And he put his whole heart into it. That's what it says. Wonders and miracles were by Stephen. So Stephen is... Humbly serving. And when there is a humble servant, they often meet with opposition. Verse 9. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertarians, and Cyrenians, and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Stephen is humbly serving, doing his duties, but part of that serving is also speaking truth. 
And the truth that he is speaking is not accepted by some in the synagogues. So they start disputing with him in verse 9, arguing, debating. Yet, verse 10 says, they couldn't resist the wisdom that was coming from Stephen. The wisdom that he was portraying, they just couldn't argue against. So this is Stephen. Now here we're entering the conflict in the story. Our main character is doing his duties, and he's entering a conflict now of somebody who doesn't like, like it, a group of people. So what did they do? They said, this can't go on. Verse 11, then they suborned men, which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses, which said, this man seeth us not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. So they appointed accusers to lie about Stephen, a man who was just humbly speaking the truth. They stirred up the people. They couldn't have this guy was winning, and then they couldn't have an argument against him. So obviously, when you stir up the people against one individual, you bring him to trial. So they brought him before the council, and that's what we see here. And lies and accusations are presented against Stephen. Imagine if you were Stephen in a trial, and the only thing they had against you was a bunch of lies or twisting your words. Imagine how Stephen felt. We're going to see his response here in a minute as a servant. The model of a servant. But before we get to the climax of the conflict, verse 15, And all that sat in the council looked steadfastly on him. And what did they see? They saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. I don't know what an angel looks like. We all probably have mental images of what an angel might look like. But I picture somebody's face glowing with joy. When he's in the middle of a trial being accused of lies, he is standing there calmly with a joyous expression on his face. The model of a servant. And we're going to talk a little bit about why he was able or how he was able to do that. So he's now before the trial. They have a, placed the accusation. The judge now responds. The high priest in, in chapter 7, verse 1. Then said the high priest, are these things so? I can almost picture Stephen just pausing here. His face is joyous. He's looking out over the, his accusers, and he just stops. I like to use the power of pause sometimes. Everybody's attention, wondering what's up. As Stephen is standing there debating what's going to come next, I ask you, what would you say next? If you were accused of those lies, I don't know about you, but I would want to defend myself. I did not say that. I said this and this. And I'm going to take some time to go through Stephen's response. And it exemplifies the beauty of Stephen viewing himself as a servant. 
a servant to the Most High God. And now we have entered the climax. What is going to happen? There's a conflict against Stephen, this man of God, full of faith. What's going to be the outcome? And this, brothers and sisters, is his response. And I'm, you can follow along as I paraphrase. I'm not going to take time to read all of chapter 7. But pretty much all of chapter 7 is Stephen's response to the council. And what does he do? He takes them to a place of their own interest. History in the Old Testament. And he goes back to Abraham. Hey, brethren. He calls them brethren and fathers. Hearken. Listen to me. You know Abraham, he was living in a land. God called him out to a land he did not know. I can just picture the council members sitting there. Yeah, I know Abraham. This guy's on to something. He's getting their attention. He didn't tell Abraham where he was going. He didn't give him land. He promised the land to his descendants. He didn't even have a child. Stephen brings those details out. But he promised his descendants the land, the promised land, eventually. But he says, uh, I'm going to capture or your people, and they're going to go to Egypt for 400 years. That's where they're going to be. Then I'm going to take them to their promised land. Okay, yeah, everybody's agreeing. Stephen's on to something. And, yep, by the way, you have Abraham begat Isaac. We got Jacob, and Jacob begat the 12 patriarchs, which are the 12 tribes of Israel, right? He's on. And in that process, Joseph was born. And they sold Joseph. His brothers turned against him and sold him and sent him to Egypt. And in Egypt, he found favor with Pharaoh, and he rose to second in position. And he was in the place to make a difference there in Egypt. There was a famine that came in the land. And because of Joseph's careful planning, Egypt had an abundance of food. And because of that, Jacob and his other brothers came down to Egypt. It was all part of God's plan. Council members, don't you see? Right. Council members are in agreement. This is making sense. This is something that they care about. Jacob went down to Egypt and he died. And Pharaoh was in charge. Pharaoh died, and the next Pharaoh took, took over. And he was a cruel master. And about that time, Moses came along. And I can just picture the council members perking up. Oh, yeah, Moses. He's a good man. Moses was born. He was exceedingly fair, nourished by his, by his father's house three months. Then he was cast out. Pharaoh's daughter took, in, took him in. He was trained in the house of Pharaoh. He was mighty in words and in deeds. This is all making sense. And I, I have to stop here and say, Stephen, where are you going with this? They ask you why you said the things that you did. But just wait. And when Moses was 40 years old, he went out to see his brethren. And he saw an Egypt and a Egyptian and an Israelite fighting. And he killed the Egyptian. Next day, he came out to talk to his brethren to say, hey, I'm going to lead you out of here. And his brethren says, oh, are you going to kill me like you did the Egyptian? Moses ran away. There he had two sons. Forty more years expired. And that's when you have the count of the burning bush. And Stephen portrayed Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush. God calling him back to Egypt. It's all making sense. 
They couldn't argue. So Moses heads back to Egypt. He talks to the Israelites there. He leads them out. Through wonders, through miracles, he leads them out. And he refers to Moses prophesying of a prophet coming. In verse 37, this is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. Moses is referring to a prophet that's coming. This story is all playing together in the beautiful plan of salvation. And Stephen is trying to explain that to him, to them, the council members. So it was that same God, the prophet who's going to come, he was with them back then at Mount Sinai when he was going to give the commandments. But the, the Israelites didn't have enough patience. And they turned, they turned to Aaron, and they made a golden image. Oh yeah, council members are shaking their head. They remember that. And they made the golden image. Moses came down and all, God almost turned on them if it wouldn't have been for Moses. They made it to the promised land. And I'm going to jump down to verse 40, 44 in chapter 7. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed, speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen, which also our fathers that came after, after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the, face, unto the days of David, who found favor before God. Okay, now, now he's talking about King David. Yeah, they're in agreement. And desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But he didn't build it. Solomon did. So now he has reached the end. He has showed them the, the Old Testament history, the law. He's brought them through that. And he says, now we're in the promised land. We build a tabernacle so God could dwell here. But this is where he reaches his conclusion. How be it? The Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not mine hand made all these things? Then he gets really specific with his application. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears. And you can almost see the faces of the council members dropping. Are you serious? We agreed with you till now. You almost defended yourself. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which shewed before of the coming of the just one. Of whom... Ye have been now the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. And Stephen is done. Wow. Talk about being blunt and to the point. He showed them that they were right in looking back at the old law and the Old Testament. However, it was all a plan to point forward to the Messiah that they had just rejected. They were holding on to the power that they wanted. 
we see here a history lesson that Stephen brought before them that they understood. He met his accuser's own point of interest. You know, throughout it, I wondered where he was headed, but it made sense when it got to the end. You rejected that whole process. The power of his message was the plan of salvation. The Old Testament pointing to the Messiah. His application at the end was specific. Don't resist, just believe. And that's what he came down to at the end. But they didn't like what he heard, what they heard. So what happened? What's the conclusion of the story? We know. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, what did he do? He looked up to heaven and he saw ah, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. This showed that he believed that Jesus, who had just died, was risen again and was now sitting at the right hand of God. Stephen believed that with all his heart. And he showed that to the council members that day. Stephen saw Jesus, and that made him even more angry. They cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They ran upon him. And what did they do? They cast him out of the city. And before they picked up the stones... They went and took their coats and laid them where? At the feet of Saul. We'll come back to him. They picked up the stones. They went to stone him. And Stephen's last words, the last words of this servant, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down with a, and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The last response of this servant Stephen was that of joy and forgiveness. Would that be your response? And now here we have Stephen, the first Christian martyr. The Bible speaks only briefly of him. This man who was, I don't know, days, weeks, months before called to serve the church. He was a humble servant, was now the first Christian martyr. What does his life mean? Why couldn't he continue serving and making a difference in the church? That's the life of the servant, Stephen. What did you learn from him? A couple observations about this servant, Stephen. First of all, his commitment. His faith and reputation were evidence of his commitment to his relationship with God. Him being called a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost was contingent on his relationship and devotion to God. That's the only way that description of him was possible. A servant is characterized by commitment. Secondly, we don't know what occupation he had before this, but when he was called to serve, he was willing. Servants are willing. Am I willing? Are you willing? A servant is willing, and that's what we see here in Stephen. A servant is loyal. He was serving in the church, and I'm fairly certain 
He could have stuck to serving just within his church. Yet he chose to take the truth and speak it to those in the synagogues. And that's what led to his death. Loyalty to the truth characterizes a real servant. Are we loyal to the truth? Another beautiful characteristic of a servant, he's not defensive. He's unworried. When he reaches the point, the climax of the, of the trial, when he's given the opportunity to defend himself, he does not. He sim- simply lays out the beautiful plan of salvation by drawing them in. A servant does not defend. Another characteristic of a servant is joy. He, a servant, is so happy, so joyful to serve his master. And that was evident in Stephen's life. There was a joy permeating him. No matter if he was standing in a trial facing the council. And he was resolute. He was steadfast to the end. He didn't give up. The whole way to the end, the whole way to his death, he was resolute and steadfast, unchanging. Do we see the power of a servant? And can we view ourselves as a servant? And think about those character traits being applied to our life of service. What's the power of this life of service in Stephen? Chapter 7 is the decisive break between Judaism and Christianity. His service in the church was a beautiful example to others. And it was the catalyst for persecution and dispersion of the church. Because of Stephen's life standing for what was right, persecution is now entering the church. And because of the persecution, the church is spread out. All because of one man, Stephen. The power of a servant. And I think even more than all that, when I study to to, to preach a sermon on Sunday morning, my prayer is, if I can just bless one person, it's all worth it. Stephen's life directly impacted the man who went to write a third of the New Testament, Saul, who became Paul. Saul was the man standing there who, took, who was watching the coats of the men who stoned Stephen. And because of Stephen's life and example, I think that started Saul on a trajectory toward Christ. Stephen's life was worth it all. In closing, I think the overarching character traits of a servant is humility. A servant focuses on his master and the message so much that he doesn't worry about himself. Let me say that again. A servant focuses on his master and the message so much that he doesn't worry about himself. That is a servant. That's what Stephen exemplified through his life. 
so focused on serving his master that he wasn't worried about himself. And back to Luke 22, the greatest among you is who? Those who serve. And a life of service looks different for everybody. I had three servants here this morning. And according to human um, calculations, you would have probably assumed that the two bigger gentlemen would have defeated the lowly teacher. That's human thinking. But God has different plans. I had other plans this morning that may or may not have been rigged. <laughs> but you see, all three were of service to me here. And you guys looking on thought a different outcome. Yet I had a purpose for that example. So it is with our lives. Every life of service is different. Stephen was called to a life of service that was so short, yet he impacted one life that went on to impact so many more people. The servant is the greatest among you. We are called to serve. We don't know where that service will take us. We saw the servant Stephen here this morning. And I trust we can take something from his life and think about our life of service. On Wednesday night, we're going to move on to chapter 8, and we're going to look at another servant who had the opportunity to serve in a different capacity, yet it was so beautiful in walking somebody to Christ. I hope this morning that we see the power of a servant and we can view ourselves as a servant. And going forward, a specific action plan as we looked at the, the life of, of Stephen and we saw those different qualities, think about one of those qualities that you can apply to your life of servanthood this week. For me, it's being loyal to the truth. I need to stand up for, for truth in a relationship or two right now. And I want to do that faithfully, being loyal to the truth. How are you going to apply this life of servanthood? Let's serve. Let's be joyous and faithful in serving our master. We'll have a word of prayer. And Brother Eddie, if you could lead us on afterwards. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the example of Stephen. As we look at his life, we see a beautiful character of servanthood. And we want to serve you. We want to live a life of service. And I pray that we would think about focusing on you, our master, and the message. So we forget about ourselves. And we view ourselves as a humble servant doing whatever you ask. Please help us to be faithful in that calling. In Jesus' name, amen.